everyone, and welcome to the Glitch Text Rewatch podcast. So glad to have all of you here at home and everyone on Zoom. And we have, oh my gosh, we have a great episode today. We are in season two. This is episode two. Today we're talking about Ping, and Ping is amazing. And we have just a wonderful lineup of guests today to talk about the show. So we'll go ahead and start it off with Dan. Go ahead and introduce yourself. I'm Dan Milano. I'm the co-creator EP of Glitch Text with Eric Robles. I also co-wrote this episode and uh, and I play Bit, Very the robot. Cool. Very <laughs> cool. And then passing it over to Phil. Hello, Phil. Welcome back. My name is Phil Alora, and I am the episodic director of this particular episode. Thank you, Phil. And then also joining us is Adam. Hello, Adam. Welcome back to the show. Hello, Angela. Thanks for having me back. I was the animatic editor for this episode. Yeah, we're glad to have you. And then also returning is Ricardo. Hi, Ricardo. What's up? It's uh, me, Ricardo Rutala, and I'm the voice of High Five. Oh, nerds. Woo! <laughs> yeah. He said the thing. Love it, love it. And then joining us today also is Monica. Hi, Monica. Hey, everybody. Uh, I'm Monica Ray, and I'm the voice of Miko. <sighs> Miko's a high energy character. (laughs) Indeed. That's awesome. So, so glad to have all of you here, especially since you represent a wide range of all the responsibilities of the show and just all the different ways to get it started. So for those who might be turning in for, or tuning in, I should say, for the very first time, Dan, we'll start with you. What goes into co-executive producing and co-creating a show? I think it can be different for different productions. There are different levels of producing. I've learned, having worked in both live action and animation, it's like a really slippery thing to try to define sometimes. There are executive producers who may be involved kind of in name only. Maybe they had a hand in packaging the project or putting it together. Then there are those that are more creative, hands-on executive producers who are also writing the material, you know, and and in this case, the idea really did come initially from Eric, and then the two of us fleshed it out and developed the world and the characters in depth, and Eric offered to co-create the show with me and to allow me to co-create it with him, I should say, which I was so pleased about. We saw our job ultimately as being filters. What I loved about this experience was that we had a lot of ideas, but I wouldn't say we had a vision. We had theories and ideas and things we wanted to kind of reach for. And I love that Eric had a big appetite to try things and to shoot high. And when given a green light to do a show, he got very greedy just to take advantage and like let's try to do these sky high things that we can hopefully reach for and if we fall short it'll still be something amazing and then to do that you bring on all these collaborators who hopefully have that same kind of desire and as you kind of work out reaching for these things you start to reach as a group and this episode was very indicative of a group effort so it's more our vision we would cultivate ideas together and try to filter in those ideas that helped the story we were trying to tell or helped to flesh out aspects of the world in ways that maybe Eric and I wouldn't have ever thought of on our own. And at the same time, to just filter out anything that might, you know, just 
not congeal to create, I guess, a complete idea of what the show would be. I, I don't know, that, that might be a little vague, but you just kind of feel your way through. You know, what makes this show ours versus another action comedy show? And you feel your way through that. So we were the head feelers <laughs> on the show <laughs> and also in trying to cultivate a healthy work relationship and manage a lot of details. But I think the job can be different. And no matter what, anyone who says they're not relying on their team is a liar. You need your directors and department heads and your associate directors and producers to really, really sort of take the lead because you can't do it all yourself. Eric and I thought going in that because there were two of us, this was going to be a cakewalk. You know, we had double the EPs. Like, there's two creators. Anyway, it was just so huge and there was so much to cover that we never, of course, you know, anything you think will be easy is not, especially when we have so many people who did elevate the things we were trying to do so much. So it was a lot to try to accomplish. Excellent. Thank you there, Dan. And then going over to Phil. So Phil, you had an opportunity to direct many of the wonderful episodes of the show. So what was it about Ping in particular that you really enjoyed and that, you know, really made this episode special for you? Thanks for that great question. I have to say it was a very high concept show. Like the episode itself was very high concept. So it was like, the idea when I first read the script was, okay, how do we make this adventure about a pixel interesting and different and convey it well on screen so that the audience grasps just how this thing is supposed to interact with the world? And then all of these ideas started to swirl in my head, questions of like, you know, how do you get a pixel, which is a cube to interact with our backgrounds and environments and our characters and then have it all gel so that the characters it's believable that they're interacting with it and it's just believable in general that it's it's existing in the world that they live in it came from a 2d flat world and now it's in a 3d or quote unquote like 2d 3d flat world sorry a 3d flat environment you know that's animated and make it feel believable and like how do we pull it off do we use cg elements is it all 2d how are we going to keep the shape consistent throughout the episode the size of the cube does it get bigger does it get smaller how do we keep the speed consistent across the entire episode which was a challenge of like okay it's traveling you know slower here at the beginning and it gets a little faster in, in act two and then in act three it should be going crazy fast and then how do we convey that and track the speed with each artist working on each act to see like, okay, in your section, we got to keep this speed at medium, you know, and then what's the medium? How do you define the medium speed for the episode? Is it crazy fast? And then, and all that came together through the, my collaboration with the three talented board artists who are working on the show, Ben Choi, Michael Fong, and Sheldon Vela. Those were the three talents that were tasked with boarding this episode as well as uh, we had Bran Druhard, who was heading up provisions, I believe at that time, mm -hmm. who would come in to assist me and work with board team to make sure that the speed was consistent throughout and the size was consistent throughout. And then also, you know, working with Adam as well during the animatic phase to kind of like create this environment, create the world that this object came from 
and then have it you know exist in the glitch text world and see how those two worlds came together not only visually in terms of like its timing and speed but also its its sound design and how that you know went forward uh, to really come all together at the end in the animatic and then of course working with Dan and Eric asking them questions like well what happens when they hit the object or when the object runs into something or like how does it build at speed or would it be going faster here or slower here how do they stop this thing you know what's the ultimate thing that's going to happen you know is it going to self-detonate or turn everything into pixels we don't know so we were kind of really exploring the whole concept of what does this thing do and figuring it out as we were alluding to earlier in our conversation before the record started that we were putting the plane together as we were taking off on the runway and trying to figure it out as we got up to 30,000 feet, like, okay, how are we going to land this thing? But I trusted Dan and Eric in their, the captain's chairs that was like, okay, we're going to, we're going to land this. <laughs> and it was up to us as the crew to put the plane together fast enough so that we could land it uh, on time and on schedule. That's really the trick, on time and on schedule. Yeah, it's questions. Everyone's job is to basically not automatically understand. Their job is to ask questions. And then those questions, and especially through the field of their expertise. So how is we going to bring this thing visually to life? What are certain realities that we have to deal with from that person's point of view? The actor will be asking questions about that emotionally. The writer's trying to make sure that all these segments that Phil is talking about visually and with regard to energy and the editing that Adam will do will line up with the music, the emotion of the scene, all that stuff. So everyone's watching those different point of views, asking these insane questions, and we're, we're slowly whittling away at answers, and eventually the thing kind of crystallizes. Or it doesn't. In our case, it did. <laughs> but, <you know. laughs> Very cool. So putting it together, landing it safely, that's awesome. And so, Adam, yeah. you were mentioning kind of in our pre-show here that this was the first episode that you got to work on from beginning to end. So what mm -hmm. was that process like for you? Yeah, it was really cool jumping in on this one. They're like, yeah, you're going to do one where a big block just bounces around and destroys stuff. And I was like, sweet. And so <laughs> it was like, oh, wait, it's based on Pong. So it was, it was neat that this like foundational episode of the show was like my foundation on working on the show. So it's super cool. Yeah, because I'd worked on some other stuff like, hey, trim this down, move this around, this kind of thing. But when you start from an, with an animatic from the very beginning, to me, it felt like my animatic, right? So it just was like, okay, how am I going to make this tight and punchy and cool and fun, like right from the beginning, got to choose all the temp music, work with all the temp sound effects. What's the ping going to sound like when it bounces around and hits stuff? All that good stuff. I get to work with the actor's performances and, and choose how to build the scene out from which takes, work with Phil to like, you know, refine that. Yeah, I feel like I've did a really bad job defining what editing was the last Aww. time I was on this show. So <laughs> I'm like trying to think of all the stuff that makes it more understandable of like building the foundation of a show, a very rough edit, hitting those key poses, making sure we get something that we can't fully animate because it would take too much time and, and money to do things over and over and over. If we could just do the basic stuff and show it and get the timing down and everything like that, we can move forward. I think you're the first person to get your hand on all the elements. You've got the roadmap yes. of the scripts and the storyboards, but nobody has yet seen it with any energy or with all these various pieces coming together. And you get to assemble it for the first time and then even refine it to like your specifications. Then the director comes in, takes a pass, or we come in and take a pass, and et cetera. But like, yeah, I could see it that first run as being you and the puzzle, mm -hmm. you know? 
Totally. Yeah. It's like it's like a Lego house. You take all the pieces. Yeah. Like, in my case, I'm working on this show. It was so it was such a pleasure to like every piece was so cool. All the art was awesome. All the performances were great. I was just like fanning out as I was putting it all together, like, oh, I get that reference, or this is hilarious, or you know, whatever. Working with Adam was terrific because it's like I would come in to like see the initial pass of what he had assembled for his first build. The world was already so rich with all the sound effects and music that he had laid into the timelines. Okay, for those knowing in the know, like we were using Premiere, Adobe Premiere Pro, and there are tracks of time underneath the tracks of art. And so there's an artwork track on the top and then below see that- how difficult lays, this is? <laughs> yeah. Uh, he layers layered, down tracks of sound. Layered and elements. <laughs> layered yep. elements. And you all get to use Premiere. How luxurious. <laughs> it's nice, yeah. And all that was meticulously crafted. And I would sometimes poke my head around the computer console that he was sitting behind and look at this Christmas tree of like colors <laughs> below the artwork track. And I'd be like, holy crap, it's amazing. It really does start um, to look like Legos with all the colors. Yeah, it, it looked exactly like you're looking at a screen from Breakout. Like, <laughs> you know, cause you have all the little pieces, the little blocks and there's like holes where like the pong, like, you know, the ball like hit bricks and broke through. <laughs> Meticulous and passionate describes so many members of the team and something that I think, to use Adam's Lego analogy, which I really like, he was the kid who didn't just follow the instructions. He'd be like, oh, and here's all the custom stickers I put on. <laughs> you know what? We didn't have a few parts, so I went and I, I 3D printed a bunch of these parts that I, you know, like he just was so excited and resourceful that yes, he'd go and hunt these. We'd listen to his temp sounds and be like, you pulled these from all these various video games and like all this different piece of score and it was just amazing and and then again yes yeah, so then he and phil would collaborate and modify from there but having that going in that kind of energy it, it means everything because if adam's having fun that's going to translate to all of us and if he's not for some reason you learn to kind of watch out for that too just in case oh is there something that's not hitting here. Is there something missing that we need? That's a question we'd ask of anybody on the team. And if um, I'm having too much fun, then you tell me, hey, knock it off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why are you suffering more? I don't, I don't think, I don't think we ever, I don't think we ever did that to anybody on the crew. Like, oh, you're having too much fun. Okay. No. Okay, you guys wanted a dragon here, right? Yeah. No, no dragon. Yeah. We all had tons of fun and suffered plenty in equal measure. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. That's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Very, a very rare occurrence in, in animation. Like when you have it, you know, you just enjoy it and then you run with it. <laughs> this is true. This is very true. It's very much, I like the fact that it's not just like eat your gruel. It's like, no, we're making cartoons. Sometimes it's tough, but it's- I love this gruel. Yeah, it's just, yeah, <laughs> it's you just can't delicious. stop. <laughs> it's candy coated and multicolored. Like candy coated. Yeah. Like the lucky charms of I'm nauseous, but I want more. And oh, I, have to, I have to have it. All right, so Monica, let me turn it over to you. So I've heard from both Dan and Eric in a previous episode that you came on the show in a very interesting way. So I wanted to know if you could share that experience with everybody. Sure. Well, Eric tells it in a way that embarrasses me. <laughs> but the way that I remember it is that I, I was in development at that time doing my own short, and I was doing a voice in my short I think it landed on Eric's desk that I can do Scratch and, you know, Miko was a character in their pilot and it, you know, they really wanted to, to add authentic female voice to Miko versus having 
Dan or Eric scratch her <laughs> in the temp <laughs> audio. So I was present, I was free, and I really enjoyed the stuff that they showed me. And I really clicked with just the idea of a show about video games because I love video games myself. And this whole thing just seemed like a world and a show and a character that was like built for me. So I was just like, oh, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to have so much fun just doing the temp audio, just getting really into this character. And so I did their temp audio for their pilot. And then after the pilot, they came to me and they were like, Monica, if this goes, we'll cast you as Vico. And I was like, yeah, okay, sure. Whatever you say. <laughs> you <know>? <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, I don't know. It just seemed like too good to be true. And then it happened. And I was like, what the heckity schmeckity? <laughs> really? That's why the pilot got picked up. Is it? <laughs> Dan, you got to fill us in. The, the Russell Hicks was running Nickelodeon at the time. And I remember after he saw the animatic, he said, where Monica was really, Monica D'Amico and everybody else was also kind of like scratch or a few temp folks that we had in mind. And when it was over, he said, well, this is really fun premise. And I really like this pilot. He's like, of course, you're gonna have to recast everything obviously with that audio you guys have. And we were like, okay. And he said, <laughs> except for Miko, of course. I mean, the problem you have is you need to find a cast that will meet her at her level, which was amazing. So, and so cool. and he was he was right. I just think Monica has a very natural way about her and an enthusiasm that is very infectious, but also a, like a self-awareness that like, oh, I probably sound too enthusiastic, so I'm going to dial it back a little bit or like almost rolling <laughs> her eyes, but that's genuine and fun. And that's how I feel in life. I hear myself and I'm like, oh, Ricardo has that too. My favorite Ricardo lines are ones where he'd record, hear himself, feel like maybe it was a bit dorky and that comes through and it's very genuine so we did we said what is working about this performance that is just so infectious to everyone it's not just that it's a cute fun high energy voice we've had decades of that stuff what was different was that you just believe this is a real person and a good friend and somebody you knew or wanted to know and that's I know that Monica didn't sit there going, that's what I'm going to bring to this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'd love that if I just sat down and was like, anyway, here's a stellar performance. By I'd like me. to be accessible yet. Uh, yeah. really. <laughs> that's start, magic. That's I why art is magic. myself that way. Yes. <laughs> you should. You'd be like, all right, this is, this is what I can bring to the table, everyone. Thank you. Yeah. Ricardo, is that, is that what you were thinking? when you came in to record. <laughs> exactly that, exactly that. <laughs> you know, there was actually a really dark time right before Glitch Tech, right before we started, or you guys started doing Glitch Text, where I almost didn't, I didn't have the role. There was this insane ultimatum that came when I got my job at Disney, where they, they kind of got concerned with the fact that I had this lead role. I also had a pilot at Nickelodeon at the same time and I was like a first time director and they were like that seems like too many things you need to give up one of those things <laughs> and I was like oh no and it was so scary and sad it and I remember so scary I remember like coming into your office and like sitting on your floor because I was just like I was, ugh, so embarrassing but I just I was like I just never thought I'd have to pick and luckily I didn't luckily I had a wonderful lawyer and 
we worked things out day before I started at Disney, but it was just a scary time where I was like, am I really going to have to give this up? (laughs) We were terrified. We were so scared to. uh, to, So was I. (laughs) Yeah. And we all just definitely because of the show, but then also just as a fellow artist, it's like, I don't want to see a network or a business affairs department take an opportunity away from such an amazing talent over what is ultimately their nonsense politics. And this happens to all of us all the time. So it just would have been a crime in general. And this idea of exclusivity is usually kind of over overdone it's, by studios. But those of you listening will learn that if you get into the business. And yeah. it's important to push for the things you want because those that push back politely, fairly, responsibly, you tend to get you tend to get what you need. You do. And that's what happened is I ended up getting to keep both. I got to keep the pilot that went nowhere and this wonderful opportunity. And you know, that didn't stop me from excelling as a director on Big City. So, you know, it all worked out just fine. And I just had to ask and be nice about it, I guess. <laughs> you got to ask for what you want. That's advice people give a lot. And then when you hear it, you're just like, Ooh, that sounds not helpful. But it's true. <laughs> it's true. They count on people who won't ask or who will be intimidated to just not even pose the question. It can be that simple. This is very true. And thank you, Monica, for sharing. And then Ricardo, we're going over to you. So well, again, welcome back to the show. And I'm really curious with this episode because I feel like you really get the depth going on with Five. You know, yes. you really see him just, for one of the first time, just really not really wanting to tell people what's going on, not wanting to tell Miko what's going on for very, you know, for good reason. He's not just being flippant about it. And so I was wondering mm-hmm. what was going through your head, reading the script, looking at it going, wow, he's just dealing with a lot right now. Well, I mean, yeah, I just, I could totally relate to him in the sense that, you know, there's sometimes experiences in everyone's life that it's difficult for them to be open about those things as they keep it private because it hurts or, you know, they just, they're afraid of what other people will think. And so, um, you know, I've had plenty of those experiences in my life. And so I just related to high five in that moment. And I think I was able to, you know, relay that kind of emotional battle that he was having inside about his father and stuff. And he he wanted to keep it private. So I think it was really cool because, you know, especially because the fact that, you know, his father's in prison. I mean, that's something I've never seen in an animated show ever, something like that. And so, and I'm sure there's a lot of kids that relate to that. So I think it's really, really cool. It's a really cool episode for that. And one of the reasons I love this so much is because we tried to keep the show an even two-hander driven by both Five and Miko, but this was the 13th episode we produced, and it was finally time to really do a high five story and learn about him. We'd seen Miko's family and aspects of things that drove her emotionally and her anxieties and things, but we really hadn't done that for high five. And Mm -hmm. so this was the chance to do a story like that and then have these characters sell it. One of the things we were trying to figure out is, can you do a show that is a fun you know, romp for young kids who want a fun adventure show, but can we do thematics and and emotional themes and subtlety? You know, like, why can't we have it all? If we put that stuff in the recipe and bake it just right, you know, it should be palatable for everybody. And then that can really enrich people who maybe need 
to see themselves on screen in a way that they can relate to emotionally and so that's that's why yeah this it's one really is cool special. like how you guys gave high five such a deep layer like that because you know like you said for the most part during the you know season one and stuff we haven't really gone deep into like you know the life story of high five and we've you know just braised it you know superficially but i think this was cool just to even just even though it wasn't like fully dove into this story about you know what happened with his dad it was still there and it was still prominent in the episode and i think it was definitely such an emotional you know ride for the for all the viewers when you have friends and when you work with people and you get to know them you start to encounter things about them uh, you learn about them you learn about their family and things get a little more intimate and we tried to eventually do that with all the characters you start to realize mm. there's more to mitch you know, everyone has something they're dealing with at home, positive, negative, and, and or, or neither, just stuff. So that was a wonderful thing to do. And, you know, when if and when we're able to do more, we would extend that to all the other characters. You know, that was that's always been the point. But this was a pleasure because it was high time that High Five got a real meaty story that kind of told us more about him as a person. And I definitely loved how High Five was able to keep in touch with you see that high five has been keeping in touch with his dad while yes. he's in prison it's like that high five cares about his family no matter the things that they've done you know the loved ones and just that re- keeping that relationship no matter you know what's happened in the past i think it's a very good lesson for especially for kids you know absolutely so i love that part i think that's fantastic and that leads into the episode itself so i will read the synopsis So High Five seems unusually glum on a job at a game store to take care of a mysterious cube-shaped glitch from the first video game ever. So listeners at home, what we do is we set Netflix to zero, zero, zero. And at the count of three, uh, I will say one, two, and three. And at the count of three, you will hit play so that you can watch along at the same time with us as we discuss the episode. So one, two, three. And here we go. Ping, ping, ping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> ping, ping, ping. <laughs> nice. Let's do it. As folks watch this, if they're familiar with the show, we wanted this to be kind of a mirror episode to Going, Going Gauntlet, which was of the first very Miko emotionally driven story where as she chases this crazy bird, the bird kind of represents the anxiety she's feeling. And eventually she kind of confronts that anxiety and she adopts that bird, right? So the ping uh, cube is kind of like Allie. It's the same, we decided purposely to do almost the same formula. Five is chasing after something that represents his, his emotion directly. And the way he interacts with it is how he feels. So with that in mind, have fun. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Just for reference, uh, you know, to, to get into the, the first sequence that we just saw, I ate a lot of burritos. Because uh, <laughs> that was the first thing I ever worked on was that whole like building a burrito sequence. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and you got Cree Summers for this? Mm. Oh, yeah. I know. Yes, Brad Bell, uh, who's an, uh, an amazing writer. He created a web series called Husbands, and, uh, and it was also a, uh, for a comic book for Dark Horse. Brad wrote an amazing draft of this, and he created a version of this character who was a little more of a Southern Belle, 
and I loved it. It had so much heart. And I, I felt bad kind of changing that character because that was Brad's original character. But I had worked with Chris Summer on the Crudes and, and knew her as a person and really wanted to see her and her specific personality. So we not only cast her, but this design is unarguably Cree. And Aww. it's written in her voice. The things this character says are things that Cree says just you know, in her daily life. Oh, that's so, great. Yeah. So cool. Which allowed the audience to really feel a new and unique voice, which we, I don't think we've seen before in animated productions. The auntie character who's, you know, not the, the wild eccentric, but she's got a little bit of eccentricity, but she's very unique in her delivery. Yes. She There's reads as, as real, a real person. A real person, exactly. I love that five reads coding books for fun. I know. <laughs> I know. It makes him laugh. So funny. Yeah. I think that may have been a board gag. So many board gags and board concepts in this. Yeah. We got a Smashosaurus reference coming up here. Yeah. Oh, that's right. <laughs> this was very deliberate too in wanting to say, hey, they're they're not just video gamers. We love all forms of gaming. You Absolutely. Know? And there's Bit. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Here's some exposition for you. <laughs> Let me close a phone call. I think it, there's so much about the roller coaster of stuff <laughs> that we go through in this episode, and it's just managed by such rich characters, you know? Like, and so it makes every turn nice and smooth, and so that you can just follow it along from the crazy, funny stuff to like the real stuff with the big heart. And yeah, what really made this episode unique and special, I mean, you, you both, uh, both you, Dan and, and Adam and Ricardo alluded to it, it's like the layers of conflict that are worked into the script are really deep. And that's what really stands out like for the series. It's like we have three layers of conflict for five. He's got an inner conflict, he's got an interpersonal conflict, and then they've got the external conflict of just getting this thing that they discover back in the box, so to speak. Yes. And all the while we're on this roller coaster romp and along with Five on this journey and just kind of really getting into his character of like, what's up with Five? And, and we're getting pulled along deeper and deeper until we finally reach that climatic heartfelt moment at the very end where you're just like, oh yeah, like it all kind of paid off. And I was like, when I read the script and after working on the episode and seeing the first cut of the animatic, I was like, wow, I've never... It's, it's like, how rare is it to see an episode of a show, a series that has such heart in one episode and delivers on all those conflicts, pays them all off. And it was like, holy crap, that's right. That's amazing. Everybody should be doing this. And that these <laughs> actors can deliver it because you only have like that one uh, 30 seconds in the van for Miko to establish uh, joyful energy and five to be reluctant and Miko to detect that. And then for Ricardo to sort of say, uh, I, something's going on with me, don't ask me about it. And then the acceptance of Miko to say, oh, okay. Um, it, because, you know, oh, please go ahead. Oh, no, I should say you have uh, 22 minutes and 30 seconds. I don't know what the, the yeah. but that's it. That's all you get. That's all you get. Squeeze all that into 22 minutes. Miko's such all a good that energy friend here, though. Is so important. She is. she is. She's so supportive. Yeah, because when he can't really give her an answer, and he's like, can you just roll with this? And she's like, okay. Hell yeah, dude. Yeah. yeah. Back. Absolutely. And yeah, I love not this enough good things up. can be said about 
the writing in glitch text but I, you know i listed this one as one of my favorites in particular because i just i'm just blown away by how you managed to introduce such a high concept glitch and mechanics of how it works and just to layer it so seamlessly on top of what five is going through i just you threaded so many needles it's really so impressive really impressive it was crazy Man, that cube that oh my gosh it just looks insanely cool it makes you just want to actually grab it right <laughs> the way it bounces around too i just want yeah. to play just want to play until i know all. for real that's crazy the color like the green on it is just insane it looks so cool the okay, composite we're work on this is so wonderful opening title sequence alone is just like it's you just want to get up dance shake your butt and like go out and blast some glitches or something that's right just go and find your own chomp kitty Brad I remember when, it, when we first heard the first cut of this, we were all in Dan's office, just huddled around his desk, and we were all just like, we got done, and it was like, holy crap, that was awesome. <laughs> play it again, play it again. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, moving the stuff on the screens in the background, making sure mm -hmm. those cabinets matched the, the real life <laughs> cabinets. And, oh Each game goodness. had its own set of sound effects that we played with as well. Yeah. We had quite a we had quite a bit of like uh, tracking in this particular sequence. We had a track to make sure all the designs matched up and lined up shot to shot to make sure that you know our wall of game oh, posters was consistent. So this is Mark. Martai, yeah. yeah. And you know, it's not just great for this location, it's world building. It's another example of like, oh, the history of Hanobi and how long they've been around, and it just it makes it so real in the way that that stuff ties into the other episodes there are a lot of easter eggs built into that wall so i mean if for the fans who want to go back and watch yes. freeze frame go through that wall there are so many easter eggs in there <laughs> i mean we're not gonna point them all out today but you know hey you just figure out where they belong and to which episodes <laughs> they reference no i want to play biba it's really bad yeah, I know, right? <laughs> this is but, all basically real the uh, game lore lifted from real life i love her this, reaction this, this was hilarious omg <laughs> omg yeah. that was that oh. was hilarious even in animatic it was like it such a like, huge laugh and i really feel like it shows the depth of five's emotion too the fact that his dad created all of this but just because of what happened in the past he just doesn't really want to share it. and it's just amazing that you know he's just been keeping this all to himself the entire time we would, you know, the, the network was pretty cool about not fighting us when we didn't want to explain everything because we would say, look, we want the show to be rewatchable on the, mm -hmm. the second time you watch this. Now you know what things mean to five. So up to this point, you're going to look at him differently the way he's reacting is you know what secrets he's holding on to and just again the fact that we get away with subtlety of acting is a testament to the board artists, the actors, the, the animators to to do that because obviously everything here is built from nothing you know it's mm -hmm. like it all has to be implied with body language and and vocals and music yeah, this is the great build up here to the uh, interpersonal conflict between five and nico i remember the network saying a little bit like well we don't want them to argue you know and it's like <laughs> well look they're best friends and they you when you don't understand you can fight with your friend like as long as you know where they're both coming from it's not a problem it's not nasty he's being weird and she's confronting him and he doesn't want to be confronted like that's a real energy 
Man, the children in focus testing don't like conflict. (laughs) (laughs) Just have all these theories where I think, you know, networks used to be more afraid of this kind of stuff, but thankfully there are a lot of shows that are really starting to put more. What's great about this episode is that we didn't have to explain a lot. We just let the audience, you know, lead them through the story. And in that way they could come back, as you said, and rewatch the episode. Um, If we explained everything, it just wouldn't have the emotional punch it did. No. Plus, you could also explain the fight with a ping bouncing around <laughs> and have that ex- escalate and then get out of control. And obviously, all this stuff is talked about to painstaking degree and everyone asking questions. Mm-hmm. Well, what happens when it hits the wall and where does it go? And then tracking that and figuring <laughs> it out. I love this. Is... this is you know, that's like it's the just... worst thing you want to see when you pull the box <laughs> <Yeah>. up. <laughs> where is it? Oh, Such oh, great rhythm. I liked knowing where it was. <laughs> this was a great uh, invention right here that we figured out how to do in a, in a brainstorm session. Yes, that's right. Oh, that's sick. Figure yeah. out how to like reset the entire room like as quick as possible. Yes, mm-hmm. a reset canister takes care of things very neatly. Yeah, the the irony that the most difficult one of the challenges was we want the most difficult glitch the techs have ever really faced to have zero personality not be a monster <laughs> of the week have it be just an element of video game physics really it's like a simple thing that if five were in a better frame of mind they probably just would have neatly like taken with them back to headquarters mm. you know but because that bit, i remember you know, oh sorry cut you off there no just... no not at all we had to add that cat. I mean, I remember when I was sitting with Adam, <laughs> I was sitting with Adam and we were editing that portion together. I was like, could you just put a cat at the end? Yeah. You know, just for fun. <laughs> it's like, Luckily, you wouldn't have one in an office building, but why not? Luckily, they carried most of the sound effects we put in as temp forward into actual sound effects. So it was super sweet. Yeah. That GLaDOS gag was for Ian Graham, uh, who was demanding that there be a GLaDOS cameo in the shows. <laughs> so awesome. <laughs> when Miko talks about the brush stroke of the song and stuff, that's me explaining editing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, classic ORZ. Yep. That was a standards conversation. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, I remember that. We were like, Twitch chat, something to do with Twitch chat. Yep. Uh, just trust us. The kids will know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Poggers. <laughs> Pog. Pog. Dogs, cats, and birds have a hard time in this episode. Oh, yeah. Poor animals. Sometimes no, one, no, no animals were harmed in the making of this production. There's so much uh, rhythm to all poor this. Poor fishermen. Oh, yeah. From the Smashazor's fishermen. Mm-hmm. Donna Bailey. Donna <laughs> Bailey, yes. Donna Bailey. I remember doing that ADR. Awesome. Oh, oh yes. ADR, the like... trees. <laughs> awesome. I just remember watching it. I was just like. <laughs> <laughs> it's so much fun to plug those into the edit and play with them yeah. and move them around and so you know, which ones I want to use. And, oh, man, it's great. There's a lot of that in this episode. Oops and ouches. Are you ever Brad. listening to it going, but which one has maximum pain? But which one is sad yet, com- <laughs> you know, Thinking, the thinking man's oofs and owls. <laughs> the ping hit is more of an ah, and the ground hit is more of an oof. <laughs> and in comes Mitch. The, the one oh. guy they don't want to deal with. <laughs> I love Mitch. 
Mitch is yep. such a fun character. He's, awesome. <laughs> He's great. I really grew to love Mitch through half the series. He just, it's the guy you love to root for, like, to get run over by uh, a renegade physics object. Yeah. yeah. Like, but then like you kind of like him at the end. <laughs> yep. You want him to get, you know, his butt kicked. Yeah. Mitch is great, but also I think, because hug. he's a jerk. But if he were nicer, you'd almost kind of understand his point sometimes. He has mm-hmm. reasons for the things he says. He, they're just said in the worst way possible. Oh, yeah. The most obnoxious way. Originally, the cube got, they trapped it in a bank vault. And Brad Bell very smartly changed it to the van, which saved so much for in terms of script and for production. Um, that was that, I remember that being his idea. Yeah, I'm so impressed with this scene. You tracked where that thing is at all times mm-hmm. in this little triangle. <sighs> yeah, we had we had to cut the dialogue together and, and make sure would they get hit by the ping yet when they're talking or like yeah. where do we put that? <laughs> I remember going through that with you and like making revisions on this sequence, just like okay, we, oh wait, no, it's got to be back a little bit further because <laughs> that didn't hit me. It was so fun to get wow. so nerdy about it too. Yeah, this then, is great. And they just he just leaves them. Yeah. He, yep. <laughs> Twenty-two minutes. Gotta go. <laughs> gotta go. We gotta, Port- we gotta move the story along. Yeah, portals really helped with that, making that time, huh? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is the best. Like everything's totally fine. Don't mind me. <laughs> Ricardo's uh, like panicked. Read was great. <laughs> Thank you. Game realm, uh, game realms is a place um, right, uh, an awesome um, retro video game store right near Nickelodeon, um, and we they were definitely the inspiration for Jerry's store. We had a party there, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. that's right. Mm-hmm. This is a great Burbank. reveal for for five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're great here, Ricardo. Mm-hmm. It just sucks you right you in. Both I mean, are. You just become part of the story here. And it was important that like Five yeah. wasn't hiding this stuff out of shame. It, it's just a sad thing that he just hadn't wanted to deal with. You know, like going yeah. in that store was something he was like waiting. It was a present he was waiting to open with his dad. And, you know, things took him in another way and he just didn't want to deal with any of this. And it's crazy how like, just I don't even know what that 30 seconds is so impactful for anyone watching mm-hmm. like just 30 seconds and it's like wow you already have such a greater connection with five and, and it's on or you know uh, yeah and it's on yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah she she sells that so wonderfully too so mm-hmm. little time to do it and then this just becomes fun like just pure <laughs> conceptual fun mm-hmm. of how do we deal with this thing and how do we escalate this thing oh this is great thinking mm-hmm. with portals and it seems like such a good idea too. Of, oh, this is just a good way. Okay, now it's just going to go on a loop and it's fine. And they don't realize, no, this is the worst possible thing for them. <laughs> there's this thing called momentum. Yeah. Um, <laughs> physics. And there's preserved between portals. Oh. <laughs> That's I'm, insane. <laughs> I remember it being kind of a problem of like how, well, once this thing goes so fast, how can they possibly keep up with it? What could they do? And then the concept of overclocking was such a fun idea because it was like, you know, based in actual, you know, computer modding um, to speed up a processor and all that. So it was like, oh, great. So we get to 
create this concept and it, it will effectively also help the characters move quicker and make escalate the action. And of course, it's Mitch who knows how to do it. You know? Right. Mm. <laughs> There's a reason mm -hmm. Mitch likes Ridley, I think, is, you know, he, he likes those little things that are other people may not do to achieve his ends. Hacks. Mm -hmm. I remember getting here in the, in the script being like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and this, Monica. I want, to <laughs> I want to be wind. <laughs> I love this pair up. I love this, like, just when the when the goal is in their heads, it's like, okay, fine. We become the two most powerful things in the universe, yeah. I guess. They really are. Yep. Mission Nico spinoff win. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that would, I don't know if that would last. They would never get along. <laughs> it would just explode eventually. That would be, that'd yeah. be great. That'd be great. It's like, you know, it's like the odd couple. And that's, that's that, one was, that one was one of the fantastic things about our show was that the team, the writing team would pair up characters that you wouldn't expect to see paired mm -hmm. up, pair up. And then the fireworks that happen from that pairing were just fun to watch. So seeing Miko and Mitch work together, it's just great. You know, like... <laughs> <laughs> just enjoying marshmallows on the go <laughs> a, to a little toasty reference there that was like the Mortal Kombat quote I think I had to scratch for that when we had it in the animatic <laughs> yep and this whole thing just <laughs> <laughs> so great. I like a shield just max defense with sunglasses <laughs> yeah. yes oh that that didn't work <laughs> Exhale. The hair, so great. Is that a Phil Jacobson kind of flourish? That that, that title. I don't know so why that bird is like so it. funny to me. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> he bites it. Poor bird. Yeah. Why did he throw his head in the log like that? <laughs> Birds, rabbits, cats—they just—they just don't make out very well in this episode. The the with regard to the music and the sound effects, the relationship directly between what Adam would would put in uh, and then what our, um, even our dialogue mixer would sometimes create and then our sound designer and Brad Breek with music, everyone had no ego and they would all kind of work together um, to determine what the rhythm of the show would be. So even though the custom sounds and music eventually had to be made, it was so directly inspired by something that, that Adam and Phil had set forward here. It was like writing a song, but not work be in the same room. It was, oh, this is really neat. Yeah. And there's the unicorn. Yeah, unicorn. The, we just love the idea of a unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> unicorn rainbow blast, go! <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know about you, Ricardo, but I miss doing ADR for this show so much. I miss just oh showing my up gosh. and screaming. <laughs> me too, me too. And it's because it's just so fun because in the booth, you know, Dan and Eric just let us improv to the max and just have crazy times. It was, yeah, I miss it so much. There's no other, there's no other animated show like this for sure. <laughs> All this little S unicorn dance. It's like, swallowed a bug. Yeah, we had that set to Final Fantasy in the temp track. <laughs> That's right. Mm -hmm. da -da -da. <laughs> and then of course, Mitch has to comment, you know. Yeah. Got the pain. So this is nice. kind of a, a rushed, you know, this is a, the 22 minute time limit shows here but 
it works, especially because of the visuals, the, the choice of those shots and the way Five plugs the thing in that you saw before, it kind of tells you what he did. We don't need to stop and really explain it all. I love this part. Yeah. It's a really sweet moment. Uh, that's Eric uh, Lopez, who plays Poppy, as also playing Dad. Mm -hmm. Very cool. And I like that they have a really good relationship, and that Five's mm -hmm. not, I like that he's not bitter, that he understands what happened, and that they still have that connection going. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is their normal. And there was no problem in this episode, really. Like, Five doesn't learn a lesson. It's just... This is something he had going on and we got mm. to visit it and see what his normal is and his normal is bittersweet. I just realized something about the credits, Dan. It says the animatic was edited by Adam Adamson. What? Is that a, is that a person? <laughs> well, why didn't we get him for this podcast? <laughs> yeah, I, I've been lied to. Uh, I thought Adam I was Adam Adamson? <laughs> said Adam Adamson in the credits. Unless there's another person called Adam Adamson. No. I mean. We did have another Adam. Adam. Adam Adam have? No. Did they do you like this? I think, did they I, I, think I got done. I think I got done. We did you dirty on this episode. I gotta go back and take a look at that. I'm sorry, yeah, Adam yeah. Adamson. That is, I can't write something better than that. <laughs> we like, need to get poor Lisa exists. Woods, our producer, on one of these podcasts because... Yeah. That, she's coming that's... soon. Oh, she's good. Coming because... soon. She's coming in a, in a couple episodes. Good. Oh, that's... my goodness. Do I need to mention that to her? We're like, hey, Lisa. Lisa, we got Adam notes Adamson. on the credits. Who is uh, this? Adam Adamson. You have some crimes to answer, too. <laughs> oh, no. Sorry. You'll end up being a roast. It's like, so glad to have you. Now we have some questions. I mean, unless oh there was an Adam Adamson that y'all brought in and like he did like the final, final cut. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> unless unless the, the person who was doing the credits was like we don't have an animatic editor his name is adam adam, adam, adam. i'm sorry Rick, this, we never okay, told you this go, but go. that first day you were actually fired and we just never told you. it was all and, a dream <laughs> you basically have been accepted here. this entire time that the little yeah. top is still spinning on the table somewhere I just wake up like <gasps> Well, that, that's the show in a nutshell. We're always finding these errors, these like egregious errors that- They're glitches. They're glitches. Yes. Yeah. There, the um, are there, I don't understand credits, but it, everyone who approaches me and asks me about credits seems to take it very seriously. Is there mm -hmm. like, is there a thing? Like, is there, is there something that happens to you because you were miscredited in this or? I don't know. Like, do I have to- yeah, does something happen? <laughs> like, I don't no. know. Like, did you miss like a, I don't know, like a, a IMDb credit or like a paycheck or something? I don't know. <laughs> it shouldn't. It can affect. Am I in danger? If the IMDb is not manually entered, it can affect an IMDb credit. Fortunately, people can go and correct their own IMDb listings and such. But sometimes, yeah, websites or shows will just pull from what's written there. So in that sense, it can be bad. Industry-wise, everybody can and should know what you did but it's yeah it's not great you definitely want your name <laughs> I, I just directly. got a text i just got a text from nickelodeon they said i they want all their money back no <laughs> <laughs>
They have to come wow. and fight you for it then. It's so nice that they text you though. That's really sweet. I, what's yeah. that like? <laughs> yeah, let us know, please. Yeah. We'll fight for you, Adam. We'll take up our swords and our pitchforks. Another text from Adam Adamson. Hey, um, I want my credit. <laughs> You know, you have a doppelganger Monica Roy as Miko. <laughs> yes, I'm taking over your life. I will admit to doing a little bit of my own wiki editing. So on the Glitch Text wiki, I was like, I don't remember why I was there, but I was I was trying to like organize a portfolio or something. And the wiki said that I was half Japanese. And I just have to say, I'm not half Japanese. I'm half <laughs> right. Chinese. Yes. Miko is half Japanese. Yes. That's correct. Out there. But I'm not bilingual. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not a very good <laughs> half Chinese person. <laughs> no, I don't think Miko is either. Nope. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but five yeah. is. You know, that's one thing that we didn't explore in the series. You know, maybe for like season two, or I should say season three, we could explore the Japanese heritage that Miko has. Because we there was incorporation of the Spanish language into Five's dialogue throughout the series. And with Miko, like she came from a particular heritage that wasn't explored fully in the language. So it's, I don't know if that's a harder thing to explain, hmm. you know, to American audiences who are not used to hearing Japanese in, in an animated television show if it's not anime and they're listening to the, the you know, the, Miko's mother the subtitles. did keep her last name. And there is an episode that has been fully recorded and boarded but not yet animated where Amy Hill plays Grandma Kabuta and mm. we meet her and learn a little bit more about her mother's mother and I think the parents first names are spoken in that episode as well but there's a lot that just we haven't gotten to yet and fans ask and then we try to answer but I always like to say well it's kind of it is subject to change because stories may end up having us alter these details but for the most part we've said that her older sister is from her father's previous marriage, but she and her younger sister are biologically of their parents. And then there's those those two little boys who pretty sure are adopted. I think <laughs> I think little Jeffy is adopted, <laughs> played by Greg Nix. Just random genes. It just pew. you know. I mean, families come in all these different forms, and it's always weird to me when people make really you know specific assumptions because you just can't do that. I mean, I don't even know if Poppy and Abuela are married or not. Like, mm. who says they are? I don't know. It's also weird because you kind of, you, the characters become relationships. And I feel, when if somebody asks me that, I'm like, I don't know, that's their business. <laughs> I don't know if they're married. <laughs> that's why obviously, you can them up and, and do such cool team-ups throughout because they all have that, those layers, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, the nuclear family is not, as normal as I think maybe we were told. <laughs> mm -hmm. Definitely Absolutely. not, which is good. The yeah. yeah, whatever your normal is, is normal. And that is definitely, I think, one of the themes of the show in a way. Ricardo, do you, have you had, what is your interaction with the fan base much? And Monica too, I'm just curious, do people tweet at you guys or, you know? Yeah, I, I get um Instagram, tags and twitter tags every now and then definitely but i you guys are the stars you guys are the stars everyone like you know in animation and everyone behind the scenes is like the stars it's we crazy. post a lot of art and i'm glad that the board team does too so there's a lot of attention for the art but yeah i'm always curious to know if people are interacting with 
the fans and just directly tweeting it at folks because it's interesting because like in live action you know you know the fans are more focused on the actual actors right not necessarily people like behind you know in production and stuff but in animation for at least in my experience it seems the opposite which is really cool it shows that like animation and just everything behind the scenes is actually what matters, you know, not just the voice, which is I really think it's cool. a marketing thing too. I think that when shows are marketed and actors, you can all make appearances and do show bumpers and promotional things that you become a face for the show. Whereas mm-hmm. in animation, the art is really the face. We mm-hmm. also didn't get a lot of actual network style marketing. So there mm-hmm. wasn't that kind of PR machine to introduce everybody which in some ways is cool because it makes the characters seem more real. That's why I, I would never say anything negative about celebrities in animation. But for me, I, I always enjoy it if I don't know who the actor is because then I just have mm-hmm. a relationship with the character. But, um, totally. but I think as people know who, who you guys are and play these roles, they can be really excited and follow you to other stuff. But it's kind of mm-hmm. cool to know that I think a lot of people are surprised when they see you or hear, or hear you in, in another project or see you in one of your movies or something and then be like, oh my God, I, that sounds like high five. <laughs> <laughs> it totally is cool because a, a lot of my fans know me from like Nickelodeon School of Rock and Netflix's Malibu Rescue and stuff. And so I've literally gotten comments of people saying, I recognized your voice and glitch text and I like had searched you up and it was you the guy from Alvarez yeah I told <laughs> my nieces and nephews you know uh, and they were like wait a minute from Malibu Beach Rescue and I'm like yeah that's that's Ricardo he plays high five and they're like shut up <laughs> now, we love, now it's cool you know we, we didn't want to hear about your show <laughs> Dan, but now we're gonna watch it <laughs> that's so well, you funny. bring some clout to the show Ricardo for sure <laughs> A little bit, a little bit. <laughs> I love anybody that's on your team, Monica, where you're like directing them and they're like, my director's Miko. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, moment. there's some, there's a little bit of interesting, fun overlap. Like def, like today when I was directing Zara in the boot, it's like she came to this record being like, cool, I'm going to record for, you know, Big City Greens. And then it's like, hi, Zara, it's me, Miko. <laughs> She's like, Monica Ray, what are you doing here? <laughs> So I feel like uh, I feel like I'm a bit of a jack in the box. Like I just kind of pop up different places. And it's like, hey, I do this too. I definitely brought all of my team to all of those glitch tech screenings. You know, <laughs> in lieu of my own family members who don't live out here, it's like all the people who work on my show. Do you want to come with me to this thing? That made me <laughs> okay. so happy. And that you did that and it was so cool to meet everybody and they were all so awesome and there's a lot of community around the show and that's always felt really good and you know it's definitely a show like for animation nerds by animation nerds and then if there are people in the general public who like it too that's really wonderful but yeah you know I think just everybody who likes what we do enjoys it and sees the passion that was put into it it gets very infectious so we love crews from other shows and whether they were from Nickelodeon or other networks, like we all love the same stuff. And, and you also like good people doing good work. I do remember, going to, the screening. Oh, I do remember going to the screening and being like, man, everybody here watching this is so cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And the fan art is amazing. 
I have so much of it. I almost need, you know, a separate room just to make a glitch text museum of all the fans. Several books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Speaking, speaking of which, books. there was a there was an yeah. art book that was put out of the glitch text fan art. Was there not? The crew art was a book. I think the fans were working on a book of their own, and I don't think that's been put out yet. But the fan art made by cast and crew, including Monica, I believe, that is in the resource folder that we share on the podcast that Angela puts up um, that you can find. And there's just amazing pieces. And Phil has a piece in there as well. I even have a piece in there, and I'm yeah. the writer. That's great. <laughs> But this show inspired me to draw. My mom was an art teacher and I hadn't really been drawing since I was like 13. And since I was on this show, I, I draw pretty much every day. And Aww. yeah, I just love it and I miss it. And it keeps me kind of, you know, in touch with all that. And, uh, it, all, and it makes me appreciate what everyone does every day. <laughs> How do they even do these curves and lines? And <laughs> oh yeah, every single day of my life, I pick up a pen and I'm like, Drawing is the hardest thing on this planet. Oh Why my God, it is. Did I do this? <laughs> I have to say that that was one of the the uh, the collection of artists that were pulled together and talented, you know, writers that Ian, Dan, and Eric pulled together to make the show was a daily source of inspiration because you could just poke your head over someone's cube, look at what they were doing, and be like whoa, that's so cool, you know, and then you go over to someone else's desk, oh, wow, that's really cool, hey, did you see what they're doing over there, and the boarders would get up and go over and see what, you know, they would gather around each other's desks as they were working on sequences and watch, you know, each other's sequences, and that would fire them up, I mean, that's one of the yeah. other cool things, we would have these screenings of the thumbnails, and the first animatics, and the second animatics, and the entire crew would go, they would not miss a screening, because they would go to see these animatic screenings and get so fired up like whoa that's so cool i gotta go do something really cool now you know and they would go yeah. back to their desks and start like brainstorming like what i could do that could be like really cool da, da, da. and they start pulling their references out and it would just fire everyone up so there was this really healthy competition to outdo themselves you know in each board as monica said it's like it's the hardest thing in the world but when you have really excited people around you are all like trying to do their best work to bring and elevate the material that it's like oh i got you know like what else can i do what else can i do and it really fires you up to uh bring out the next level of who you are as an artist and that is it's something that it's it's a really a unique experience to see and witness and you're just like you feel that energy crackling through the uh through the environment you especially feel it like after you've watched an episode in like its first or maybe its polished form in its second animatic and everyone walks out of the screening room and there's just like this palpable like we just went to a rock concert let's go rock you know, yeah, it's, it's true <laughs> we purposely would watch a lot of the first and first through third animatics in the screening room that nickelodeon had created because yeah normally that was used for executive presentations and stuff but I had worked for a few months at Lucasfilm where you can't walk two feet without running into a screening room, right? Because <laughs> George Lucas has screening rooms instead of bathrooms. They're just everywhere. <laughs> um, but I remember watching stuff that we were working on and I was like, oh my God, it's amazing to see it like this. And just the energy that created. So we're like, hey, we have this theater. Let's use the screening room. And then because 
editors like Adam would sweeten the stuff too. You had music, you had effects. And even in the early stages, you felt like you were watching the full episode and it, it, it helped pump everyone up even more. Yeah. And caveat here for animation fans who are tuning in, like not every production does what we did on the show. We had a little <laughs> bit of extra time padded into the schedule that we allowed, that allowed Adam to make the magic that he made. So like, it's not a prerequisite for every show in animation to block out an animatic with score and sound effects. That's so right. The same it, is true of the boarding, you know, yes, like exactly. board artists should not be basically animating their sequences Correct. and showrunners have no right to expect that of their employees. In our case, we would have to ask people to please try to pull back. Yes. But, and to pace themselves and not go too crazy. We would hate to have to trim stuff that they overdid, or we would hate them to have to overexert themselves. But you also have, again, these passionate, extremely detail-oriented people who can't not put that much energy in. And we did adjust our schedule in a way that would accommodate that. It was still tough and the deadlines were horrible and it was still an insane thing to pull off, but we tried to acknowledge to create a pipeline that would allow for it as much as possible and there were there were times where we had to go through and like you know put you know pour you know put ice packs on the board artists like to cool them down <laughs> just a little bit because they were just like on fire so i had to go through and be like okay come on a little bit just to rein them back in cooling but, the servers down cool yeah. exactly because we put yeah. the boards on the servers and they would just ignite you know and it was just like we'd have meltdowns have to call it like yeah it happened again i'm sorry you know that the whole everything just melted i'm sorry so that's why that screening room was so cold all the time okay, cool. <laughs> yes poor rafi and omar i <laughs> just like what are you guys doing over here what's happening <laughs> Yeah, I just wanted to make that clear because I know like sometimes people will see animatics on Instagram, like they'll post sequences of, or sequences that there's one Instagram artist that I follow that is posting sequences that he boarded as practice and it's like fully animated board. And I'm like, uh, that's rough animation. That's not a storyboard. A storyboard is a little bit less. What we had on the series was a larger luxury of time because we had as Dan suggested, there were adjustments made to the schedules that allowed the board artists to really put their best foot forward and to plus things as much as possible on other productions. They don't have that luxury. So it's, you know, it's always good to work smart and work wise to work in the parameters by which you have and do your best. What matters most is I think the suggestion of energy and the suggestion of character poses that reveal changes in the character's thought or posture not so much filling in the in-betweening of all that stuff yeah because what's powerful are those snapshot moments that are unique to you and how you interpret something as an artist the last thing i'll say on that is that we did get better at not overindulging once we'd proven what we wanted to prove and we felt ironically very secure that we were going to be doing this show for years we felt like at that time and <laughs> we may still but there's been this everyone knows this insane stop to us that we don't know when we'll pick up again. But once we felt we had good momentum, we realized, okay, you know, a character doesn't need to do a triple somersault into a scene <laughs> all the time. And, you know, let's just pull back a little bit and choose our moments better. Whereas I think in the first few episodes, we just, we were going crazy. We were just 
chewing on the furniture, we had so much energy. <laughs> and that's just not sustainable, I think, over the big picture. And if our board artists could sustain it, our animators, it's not fair to them because then they have to take that on. So you learn it as you go. And again, you, part of being, I think, an EP on this project in particular was to like push and reach for stuff, but then have the sensibility to, to know what was efficient and find a happy medium well done. <laughs> a medium well that is reasonable for everybody long term. And that's, that's something you just kind of figure out over time. That's awesome. I'm so glad that you guys brought that up too, because that's the thing. It's, you definitely, it's good to know what the reality is versus the expectation versus, like you said, what you're seeing on social media, because social media is not the full story of how the show is being made or how the animation or the animatics or the voice acting is done. You know, you have a chance to like change stuff before it shows up on that. So thank you for just opening that up and just revealing to people, hey, you can do this job and it doesn't necessarily have to look like this. There's other considerations depending on the show. Definitely. So absolutely. So let's then chat about where people, speaking of social media, where people can find you online and what you're currently working on or any fun projects that are coming down the pipeline for you. So Monica, we'll start with you. Any cool things that you're currently working on or that will be happening soon? Well, I'm working on Big City Greens. That is still going. We're still making episodes. And I think they just started airing new episodes every weekend. So I think for a couple more weeks, every Saturday, there's going to be new Big City Greens pairs. And they're all winners, <laughs> I, I think. <laughs> they're all winners and they're all super funny. And you know how it goes. It's like first season, it's like you're finding your stride. And then the second season, you're like, I'm insane. Let's just do insane stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's what we're doing. So I don't want to get too specific because I might accidentally blow something that hasn't aired. But you'll see that all over Twitter. You know, our, our board artists are super online. So, you know, they're always posting boards and promos and I'll be retweeting them all. So definitely keep an eye out for those. Awesome. Very good. And that's a, that's a quality show, you guys. So definitely Absolutely. check that out. Thank yes, you. Yes. And where we'll can try. people find you online, Monica? What are your handles? I go by Monty Ray. That's just like M-O-N-T-I-R-A-Y. That's pretty much my username across the board, wherever I can find it. The only place that that's not true is Instagram. Someone took Monty Ray. I don't know who. I got a bone to pick with them, but you know. Probably Monty Ray. Yeah. <laughs> <Probably>. <laughs> is my guess. We're coming that's for you, Monty. Place that's to start. <laughs> but yeah, Monty Ray is my handle across Twitter and Twitch. You know, Monica Ray on Instagram. I think we'll get you there. LinkedIn for those of us who are LinkedIn. <laughs> for the, for um, the Uber, Uber business professional, yes. Yeah. Very cool. And Adam, what do you have coming up and where can people find you? I'm working on, well, I'm working for Blizzard on Blizzard Entertainment on Overwatch 2. We're doing in-game cinematics for that yeah. game. So that'll be, uh, yeah, let's see. Hi, you know, you know, so cool. <laughs> it's That's a lot of fun. Sick. It's super cool. It's super cool. So get, we get to do animatics, we get to do 3D, all that cool stuff. And we get to tell the stories in between all the pew pew and the shooty shooty. <laughs> <laughs> you just put that on your business card. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm involved in a couple, couple other things at Blizzard 
but uh, yeah, it's, it's a cool place to work. And then you can follow me at, at Rickabus, my last name, R-I-C-K-A-B-U-S. Uh, I'm on Twitter, kind of on Instagram, not really a Rickabus there, but yeah, that's <laughs> what I'm doing. And hopefully when this, I guess when this comes out, BlizzCon have just happened. So hopefully you are all excited about stuff to come there. I'm sure if they watch the show, which I know they do because they're listening to this podcast, they're, they're aware. They are aware. Yes. <laughs> Very cool. And Dan, what's coming up for you and where I'm, can people find you? I'm working on a show called uh, Pew Pew and Shooty Shooty. <laughs> and, uh, oh, my. Trademark. My <laughs> handles are at Pew Pew and at uh, Shooty Shooty. Uh, I'm Shooty Shooty on Twitch. No, uh, I'm just at Dan Milano on Twitter and I'm D Milano Glitch Tech on um, <laughs> Instagram. But mostly I'm on Twitter and that's where we've been sharing stuff from the show and whatnot and my dms have been and continue to be opened and i eventually try to get back to everybody i'm working on i think we're finally going ahead with the adaptation of twee sutherland's book series um wings of fire we're adapting the first five books my wife krista star and i are going to adapt those books for animation as like premium miniseries and that's super exciting we're such a huge fan of that property and that'll be starting very soon, actually. And then just developing a couple things with our friends like Eric Robles and Ian Graham. And we have other projects we want to be creating. And then we're always leaving room for more glitch text as well, if that should happen. I know people are waiting for an answer. But the climate of streaming and media has changed so much and continues to change in the face of the pandemic and the restructuring of these companies. And, you know, we're a property of the old Nick that still hasn't been quite figured out by the new Nick and we're sort of on loan with Netflix. It's complicated. So, you know, these days they can wait two years if they want. They clearly haven't felt the motivation to pick us up like immediately. So I don't think anyone's in a major rush at the same time. I know the show is doing well and reaching an audience and they know people like it. So when the time is right, we're confident something else will happen, but we have to be crazy patient. No problem. No problem. No, you have, you know, we're hoping good things for Glitch Techs, good things for Wings of Fire, good things for Ian's project and Eric Robles' project and your other projects. It sounds like if everything works out well, you'll be working on, you know, five different shows. Yes. At uh, yes. the same time. <laughs> And Ricardo, are you, do you, you got a bunch of movies? <laughs> so actually my, um, I have a new family sitcom Netflix original show called Country Comfort. Oh yeah. Coming out. Uh, it actually awesome. just got announced today. Um, coming awesome. Out March Congrats. 19th. So I'm really, really excited about that. It's like a musical, very musical show. I get to play guitar and sing and Catherine McPhee is in it and Eddie Cibrian's in it. So it's going to be, going to be really fun. Very musical show. I'm also one of the lead voices of a new Disney animated feature called Ron's Gone Wrong. That's going to be hopefully coming out in theaters this year. Fantastic. And my social, basically you can reach me uh, at Ricardo on Instagram. And that's me. <laughs> and I just have to say again, I'm just so impressed that it's just at Ricardo that you were able to just <laughs> get that. And it's like, yes. Yeah, it's right so there. cool. Yeah, I got lucky for sure. <laughs> That is cool. Congrats on the movies and the shows. And then Phil, what do you have coming up? 
Well, uh, right now I'm working as a story artist on a upcoming feature from Gomont Animation Studio called High in the Clouds. It's a production that's uh, taking a Paul McCartney book and adapting it for a theatrical animated release. So it's uh, pretty cool. Like there's a lot of singing. There's a lot of like great musical sequences and cool animation and the style of the show as it's being developed is just really like nothing I've ever seen before. So it's really fantastic. And that's all I can say about it <laughs> since it's still in development. So we're where you could find me. I wish I had a cool name like, you know, Ricardo, just like at Ricardo. Um, but like at Philip, you know, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, the allure of Allura. Yeah, Allura. Right, there was, there was, yeah, she's just, just um, I gotta get Ricardo to do my like intro, like, so it's like I could just play a little sound bite, like, and then my, anyone clicks on my links or something like that. Anyway, sorry, <laughs> getting sidetracked. So it's philip.allura, no, Philip J. Alora.com. There's a dot in between each one, so it's like Philip J. Dot J. Alora. I don't know. It's something about art. Art of Phil Alora, right? Yeah, just, yeah. Just just type in like type in my name, and something should come up. I, I'm really doing a bad Alora. job at selling this. <laughs> oh, that's all right. That's all right. We'll have it in the show notes. And congrats again on the films. That sounds really exciting. Check out his other his other shows he's directed on too. He's got some cool episodes of other series as well. Oh yeah, there, yeah. there are some right on Netflix. I think there's two series on Netflix already that that I've directed on. Yeah. Do they have DC Hero Girls? Yeah, DC, yeah. Are the DC new ones Super up yet? Hero Girls is up there. Turbo is up there. Not the film, but the uh, the silly yeah, series. That was the first DreamWorks um, animated show. Yeah, it was the first DreamWorks animated show. Can you believe it? That was way it's back cool. in the day. It's cool. Yeah, so it, it's crazy. But yeah, so I mean, it, it's an honor to be here with all of these talented people. I feel really humbled to be in the little corner that I am over here talking to all these talented folks and be like, they're so amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and we're humbled to be here with you too, Phil. Yeah. And that just goes for, for everybody. I just have to say, it has been an absolute blast having all of you on the show. I mean, not only to talk about Ping, but it's also just nice to see all of you again, especially totally. folks I haven't seen in the office for a long time <laughs> with quarantine and whatnot. So it's always sure. great just to get together and just chat and just thank you all for coming. I know that you have your choice of evening activities. So really appreciate you sharing it, talking about Ping, all your experiences working on the show. So again, thank you all. Thank you to all the listeners and Looking forward to our next episode. Have a great night, everybody. Much love to you guys. Thank you so much, Angela. Angela. Yeah. Thanks, Angela. Thank, Thank you so much. Yeah. Appreciate you. Thanks. Thanks.